are back for another par train. Happy U.S. Open week, major number two. It is just ebbed this week. We are lucky enough to get another Arizona alum, Fox Sports analyst Shane Bacon, who will be at the U.S. Open. He's one of the um, he's in the booth, and he played Shinnecock a few weeks ago, and he's been gearing up for it for months now. And this was um, a pretty great interview. He talks about the course, what you need to know, what types of players it favors. He even said that, interestingly enough, he said that U.S. Opens are likely going to be the best chance of a major for Tiger for the rest of his career, more than the Masters. And this week is no different. He actually likes Tiger more than Phil this week. So you're going to use this episode to help you win your pool, make some picks, and get geared up for the second major. Let's do it. All right, and we are back for another park train. This is a long time in the making. Shane, we've been talking about this for quite a while. We've got Shane Bacon from Fox Sports. The U.S. Open is almost here. How's it going, my man? It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's uh, it's fast approaching. You know, it's uh, it's kind of crazy for a lot of us. I mean, you know, we had the U.S. Women's Open last week and uh, kind of a crazy finish there uh, with Aria, you know, pulling that out at the very end. And then, um, and then we've got Curtis Cup before. Um, the U.S. Open on FS1, so a few of us are headed up there to Quaker Ridge for that. So um, it's kind of back to back to back, and uh, and then we get to Shinnecock, and um, you know we're going to have you know we're going to have, have six straight days of, of, of television broadcasting because um, we're going to have a show on Tuesday and Wednesday. So it's busy, but busy's good. Yeah. So I'm just going to jump right in because I know you don't have too much time. What is something that golf fans at home don't realize about calling golf? We all like to make criticism is it harder than it looks yeah i mean it's you know the the fast pace the, the pace of it um is uh is so much higher than you think you know you're, you're moving around so much especially early in the weeks you know when you get to saturday and sunday uh you kind of know the four five six seven groups you're going to look at but you know i mean when you're doing a the only sport i really equate it to is college football um because in college football you've got so many players that might make it in the game. Um, and, uh, and you know, I got a chance to do a couple of college football games last year as a sideline reporter and seeing those production meetings there. I mean, you know, you have double-numbered players, and, and there's a lot that goes into that, and, it, and it's a lot of practice, and it's a lot of, uh, of research. And, I mean, you know, when you look at a field like the U.S. Open field, uh, you know, you don't know half the field until a week and a half before it gets there. You know, we didn't know the full field until, today, like, last night at, 11:30 p.m. Eastern, you know, so right. uh, you can do you can do your amount of research for the Jordan Spees and the Rickies and the Rorys and the players that you know. But you know, Lucas Glover wins it. No nine coming out of sectional. You know, we had Michael Campbell win it coming out of sectional not too long ago. I mean, you've got to kind of you know, kind of cram almost like it's in college just to make sure you know all these guys, you know a little bit about them because we've seen plenty of random players go out there and shoot 65 on Thursday. And you're showing half the round. I mean, two years ago with Andrew Landry, you know, he was our leader after round one. I mean, how much research are you doing on Andrew Landry headed into a U.S. Open? Right. It's interesting you brought up sectionals. We were talking about this on Twitter last night, actually. I'm curious if you have any insights from some of the players. I've always been interested in the mentality, right? I mean, you're Adam Scott, and you go to a local qualifier. And I've always been curious, is this guy super confident because he's Adam Scott? not the type of field he normally plays in, obviously, or is this like a, uh, a setback to reality and they actually nerves kick in? Do you have any context from any of the guys you've talked to? 
Uh, you, you know, I, we, we, we did our show last night on FS1, and Brad Faxon uh, was on it with me. And, you know, Brad has gone through, I think he's qualified like 10 or 11 times through sectional qualifying wow. when he was playing. And we call him kind of the king of sectional qualifying. And he said that his mentality going in was to win sectional qualifying. And I think that was why he had so much success. And he said that there are guys out there, professionals, you know, they had a long meet at the Memorial, or maybe they were playing the web event. And they come in and they, you know, they just want to get through the day and they're hoping to qualify. And he always says those are the players that he's noticed have, have a little bit more of a struggle. So I do think if you're Adam Scott, you go in there, you say, I want to win. I mean, we, we interviewed him after his round yesterday, I mean, 36 holes and said, you know, you qualify, you know, you, you know, 68 straight major championships, you know, you know, you hadn't missed a major since the 2001 U S open, how pumped are you to be there? And he goes, you know, I'm trying to win the U.S. Open. I'm not just trying to qualify. So I think when you have that type of mentality, and I think that's what you see with really impressive amateur collegiate players, is they go into these qualifiers thinking, I belong in the U.S. Open. I'm not hoping to make the U.S. Open. I feel like I belong there. and I feel like if I miss out, I'm doing myself a disservice. You know, there were something like 15 or 20 amateurs that qualified yesterday through sectional. And I mean, those players go into it, and they don't care who else is playing in it. They don't care how many PJ starts they've had or wins or majors or any of that stuff. You know, they really believe that they have the type of game that if they do what they're supposed to do, they're going to get through. And I, and I think you've got to go in with a little bit of confidence. And for somebody like Adam Scott, you know, you've done everything there is to do in golf. So, you know, to, to go out there and play two solid rounds of 36 holes, especially with as many spots as there were in Columbus, he has to feel like as long as he doesn't do something stupid, he's probably going to get through for sure, yeah, that's got to be a mental edge for those types of guys in that situation. So let me ask you a bit about the behind the scenes, and then we can jump into Shinnecock and, and more U.S. Open. T- tell us about the on-the-ground process to the post-round interviews. Like, do you have to, are you grabbing someone yourself? Is your producer grabbing someone as they walk up and finish around? Do you come up with the questions on the fly? Are you handed a, a sheet of research? the moment right before they walk up like can you talk about that and how that works and how much time you have to prep and to figure out what exactly you want to get in these one minute you have someone after a round yeah so you know the last couple of years when i've done the interviews uh you know i have i have kind of a producer that works with me and he'll work with holly saunders um and he does kind of the featurette kind of stuff so he's a different producer than our main producer who's mark loomis um so you know he's helping us out um, a little bit with it, but it, it falls a little, it falls mostly on us. You know, we have somebody that will go tell the USGA who we want. Um, and, and to be fair, they normally know, you know, on Thursday last year, they know we want Ricky Fowler, you know, after Justin Thomas shot 63 last year, of course they knew we want Justin Thomas, but we have somebody that goes over and makes the request and, um, you know, being, being the American broadcast, uh, team in, in Fox, you know, we get the player first. So, uh, you know, at, at, at the U.S. Open last year, you know, and Justin Thomas shot nine under. I mean, I'm the first person that gets to talk to him. So I will – I have a monitor. I keep up with what's going on, you know, on the golf course. And then, you know, I start to kind of think up questions as it goes. And I normally try to have a couple of questions that I possibly might ask. But, you know, one of the things I really try to do is listen to what they're saying. And I try to follow up a question uh, a little bit on the fly just because – a lot of the time, if you listen to what they say, you can get something good out of that to follow up, especially for the second question. So we'll go over it a little bit. Uh, and, and in my ear, sometimes our producers will say, you know, ask them this or, or, or here's, a, here's an option. You know, sometimes they'll throw that in your ear. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's really, really simple. I thought the JT interview last year after that was, it was an easy, flowing interview because there was so much going on. 
and it was so cool to get a chance to be a part of that. And then sometimes, you know, if a guy comes off and shot 71 and, uh, you know, he's tied to the lead, but he didn't really do much, you know, those are the ones where you kind of really got to dig deep and try to find something to pull out of them. So it really is circumstantial, but there's normally two or three or four people that are kind of all working together to do it. And, uh, you know, as for research, you know, at that point, I, I have a pretty good idea of, of, you know, what they've done or where they've been or how they played in this event before. Uh, and then you kind of go from there. I mean, you know, even last week at the U.S. Women's Open, I mean, I, I got to interview, you know, Area, and I mean, you know, that was a fun interview because it was such a an up-and-down moment for her. I mean, she was seven-shot lead at the turn and was one down in the playoff and still was able to find a way to win that. Um, you know, that's all about the roller coaster and emotions and uh, excitement about pulling it off and how proud of you are yourself. I mean, that is a big, you know, kind of you tell us how you're feeling because that's what it's all about. For sure. Have you had kind of like a, a facepalm moment? Where you're like, God, I wish I could have had that back. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, there's, there's, there's always those types of things. I'll tell you this: I, I had a, had a moment last year where um, it was a very uh, different style of interview that I'd never done before, and um, my question was like 25 seconds long. And by the time it got back to me, I went, "Well, that was like the longest question I've ever asked. <laughs> I was never do that again." You know, and I mean, you learn types of, like those little things as you kind of get going through it. But I'm excited this year to, to kind of be able to do the co-hosting thing. Uh, you know, at the U.S. Open, it's going to be, you know, it's a different role for me. I mean, not doing interviews this year is going to be, uh, it's going to be a cool thing having, having kind of two teams there with, with Joe and, and Zinger doing half of it and Brad and I getting to do the other half. Uh, it's going to be different, but you know, at times you're still going to have guys that come up in the booth or you're going to have, you know, Mike Davis up there. Gil Hance is going to come sit with us for a bit. So, you know, we're still going to have those moments where we get to ask those questions and you still got to kind of flash a little bit of that out there. Yeah. You brought up Zinger. I wanted to ask you about him. I could listen to him all day. Uh, I just bought his book recently from the Ryder Cup. Um, I wanted to hear your best Zinger story. He's 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 just as animated, if not more animated, off the golf course than on. Um, I, I think, like, uh, you know, I, I didn't know him super well early on, obviously. And, I mean, you know, I mean, he doesn't know who I am. And, you know, we're kind of getting to know each other or whatever. And um, we were we – were, we were scouting a course. We were walking this course together and I just looked over to the right and he was standing there and he looked over at me and he goes, Bacon. He said, look how big this tree is. And I said, yeah, Zinger, that's a big tree. And he goes, I can't even hug this tree. And I go, no, no, you can't hug this tree. And then he starts hugging the tree. Take a picture of me, hugging it. And I said, sure. Yeah. I took a picture of him, hugging it. And I was like, do you care about posting this on social media? He's like, no, no, I'm good. Post it wherever you want. And I mean, he's got kind of this, this youthful, youthful excitement, uh, you know, for a guy that, you know, I mean, he's, he's lived a life, you know, he's battled cancer. I mean, he's had a lot to live through and he's got, you know, this exuberance that, you know, I, I wish I had at 34 for goodness sakes. I mean, he's, he's an infectious guy to be around. And, uh, when he, when he comes around, man, I mean, it's just, it's just a different level. People get pumped to see him. Uh, you know, you want to go to dinner with him. You want to be in the car going to the golf course with him. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's cool to call him a friend. You know, I mean, I, I just, uh, I walked in the booth during the playoff at the women's uh, on Sunday because I was out, you know, out by the 18th green. And it was pretty muggy and I was in a suit and I knew it was going to go two holes extra. You know, right when you walk in the booth, he starts waving at you, you know, while they're on air. And I mean, he's, he's just, he's just a great guy. And I mean, it, it, the moment I met him, it made complete sense how we could get what he got out of that Ryder cup team, because I would want to play golf for, for Paul Azinger. You know, I would want to, I'd want to go out there and play my best for him. And so uh, being around him for 10 minutes, you realize quickly that that's the kind of guy he is. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, it's funny. Now you talk about the system, you could call it, and it's kind of the new norm. But back then, it must have sounded crazy when he was thinking of the pods and by personality types and all these things. He, he's just an awesome guy to listen to and a wealth of knowledge. So I wanted to ask you, Shane, you know, there's golf fans out there that watch just the majors, right? So let's call that a right. casual fan. And then obviously guys like us that are golf nerds. Do you have one thing about Shinnecock that the casual fan should know and then maybe one thing someone like us, a golf nerd, should know? It's a, it's a, it's a great question. And, and so something that – and this goes back to the broadcast before I answer your question because I think it's – sometimes I forget this, and it's something that we, we all need to remember, especially as you mentioned with us being kind of golf nerds. And anybody listening to it that would consider themselves a golf nerd, somebody that kind of keeps up with the sport week to week and reads stuff and watches and, and doesn't kind of miss golf, is when you hear the broadcast – next week at Shinnecock Hills and you hear Joe or myself or Brad or Zinger or Curtis or whoever, and they mention something and you kind of think to yourself, yeah, everybody knows that. You know, the thing to remember sometimes is there's a lot of people watching that don't know much about any of these guys. You know, they're watching maybe just because Tiger's in the field or they're watching because there's not a lot going on. I mean, if this, if this NBA finals is a sweep, you know, we're going to have the whole week basically, you know, battle maybe against, game six of the Stanley Cup finals or seven early into the week. But, you know, there's a chance it's going to be the only kind of thing happening in sports. So there's times where I'm watching a broadcast and I think to myself at the back of my head, why are they saying that? Of course we know that. And I forget sometimes that there are casual fans that don't know all, everything about Justin Thomas or everything about Brooks Kepka. So um, to your question, uh, casual fan-wise, uh, this will be the widest the, the, the golf crew that Shinnecock Hills ever plays. These fairways – um, have been expanded by Bill, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw. They actually have been brought in a little bit by the USGA, but they are still wide fairways when you, when you talk about a U.S. Open. So uh, the eighth fairway is 63 yards wide in one part of it, which seems crazy. How can a professional golfer miss the fairway? Um, but if you miss the fairway, this is going to be the most brutal rough that Shinnecock's ever had. So if you mm-hmm. date, go back to 2004, 95, uh, any of the U.S. Opens, there's, the rough's never going to look like this. So if you miss the fairway, I would say almost every player in the field is going to have to find a way to chip out sideways. I played it a couple of weeks ago, and your ball actually will fall. And the green's wispy. I mean, the grass is wispy, and it's knee-high in, in certain spots. But it's the rooting down below uh, that's, that's, that's inconsistent for a reason. And basically, your ball falls between these, like, knobs of root. And so you're going to basically have to chip out sideways sometimes backwards just to get your ball back in play so i'd say casual golf fans the fairways might be wider but the rough is going to be absolutely brutal and then for uh the um kind of the more golfy nerdy kind of player person i would say that uh these green complexes have been expanded so you're going to see bigger greens they, they actually went back to how the greens used to look like back in the early 1900s um and it's really cool to see you know we went went through a meeting with the usga and they showed us you know old pictures from the 1900s and the 1920s 1940s and they showed how the greens continue to get smaller and smaller and now they've made them bigger um just because the greens are bigger doesn't mean that they are going to play bigger i think that's very important is there's a lot of runoff areas on the back parts of these greens the front parts of these greens even these sides of some of these greens um i think about 14 and 15 especially um 16 the front of the green it doesn't come into play at all so you're sitting there going oh, wow, like these greens, they made them a lot bigger. They, they must, it must be so much easier to, to find 
you know, locations for whole locations and all that stuff. And that's not necessarily the case. So, um, you know, you're going to see certain greens that maybe play half the size is what they say. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you hit the green, like I, like I was playing eight, the green hole I told you about, which is, um, it's got a very, very wide fairway. And I actually took on the left side, uh, with my drive and I carried the bunker. So I was in the best spot you could be. It opens up the green and it allows you this really, really good angle in. And, um, I hit what I thought was a pretty good shot and it landed in the middle of the green and it caught the false front and it probably came off even with it being fairly wet. I bet it came off 25 or 30 yards off the front of the green. So, uh, my ball was within eight feet of being a, a, a great shot and giving me about a 10 footer for birdie. And instead I've got this really, really hard up and down to say par. I ended up making five. So, uh, the greens have been expanded. They're a little bit bigger, but they're going to play a lot smaller than they look. And, um, you basically have certain parts of the green where half the green doesn't come into play and you, and you, you can't even play two at like five. So uh, it's, it's cool. You know, one of my favorite things to do, and it's something that we'll dig in with Gil next week when, when, when we're on camera together is how all these golf courses have gone back to stuff. You know, they've gone back to the way they looked back when they were originally designed. I find that very, very cool. And, um, you know, one, one of the reasons they did that, especially this time compared to 04 was there were fairway bunkers that were in the rough in 2004 you know they weren't even they weren't even in really quote-unquote in play and they that's one of the reasons they've expanded these fairways a little bit is to bring those bunkers back into play because they should be in play that's part of the original design of shinnecock hill so you know those are a couple of the things we're going to look at uh and uh you know it's they had a they've had a wet spring so it's going to be a little bit softer i mean I, I still hope that it plays firmer than than, uh, than maybe we thought it might when we were out there a couple of weeks ago. But I think it is going to be a little softer than past U.S. Open to Shinnecock Hills. So the wind will be a factor on how low the scores are. So let's talk about Phil for a second. He had a couple low rounds over awesome. the weekend. And um, that's always great to see. So he's obviously he's always going to be a story around the U.S. Open, obviously. But um, showing a little form and obviously having a great year. Uh, what is the talk around the crew and, and your feelings of what you've seen? Do we feel like this could finally be Phil's moment to get this Grand Slam? You need a couple things with Phil. I think you need to, to, for him to be on the right side of the draw. You know, the thing with Phil is we've seen him have that bad – in any of these big events that he's really struggled in, he's had that one bad round. So, uh, you know, if it's really windy Friday afternoon and he's in that wave, um, you know, you hate to see that. I, I want him to get the good draw, quote-unquote, to, to get him – to at least get him – through two rounds around uh, the lead or near the lead. Um, I think the wider fairways help Phil a lot. Um, you know, th th this golf course kind of almost owes Phil a little bit, I think, in a way. So, um, you know, I, Phil's so hard to predict. I think he's the hardest person to predict this season in golf. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, he has the wind already. The wind already. He's, uh, but he's had some crazy weeks and some really weird nine-hole runs where it just looks like he's, he's almost uninterested. So, uh, you know, I know he's excited. I know he wants to win a U.S. Open more than anything out there. Uh, I know that he, he sees the lineup for the U.S. Open the next four and five years and sees a lot of golf courses that he's nearly won on or has won on in other events like Pebble Beach and, and of course, Wingfoot. He's got Shinnecock Hills. So, you know, I mean, it, do I think Phil could win? Absolutely. Is there a way to predict it? Absolutely not. I mean, he could shoot 65-67 or 75-77, and I think it's – I think he's the hardest person uh, right now in golf to figure out what he's going to do. I mean, I, I think you could probably throw Rory in there as well as somebody that's very hard to predict. But I know Phil was out there a couple of days ago uh, getting a practice run in Shinnecock Hills. I know he spent a couple of days out there the last couple of weeks just getting a feel for the new look of the golf course. And, um, you know, hey, 
whoever thought he'd win an open championship before the U.S. Open. So we'll see. I'd love to see him in the hunt. You know, I mean, we're the broadcast team. We root for storylines because we want interest to be a part of it. And Phil being in the hunt at the U.S. Open is basically 1A when it comes to storylines behind Tiger. So uh, we, are, we are rooting for Phil if, there's a, if you can root a little bit from the press box. Do you think Phil has a better chance than Tiger? I don't think so. I think that this golf course sets up really well for Tiger. I think Tiger's rooting for a very firm, firm Shinnecock Hills, mm-hmm. so he can hit that two iron a lot. And he can hit that three wood. You know, it's not. It's it, it. It plays a lot shorter than it says it is on the card. It's not. It. You know, if you get that that kind of the seasonal wind is this, is this wind that kind of comes out of the of the northwest, and uh, and then there'll be a wind that comes out of the southeast. You know, it doesn't make it doesn't make the golf course play overly long, and so it's not like Tiger's going to have to beat driver all over the place. The putting woes obviously kind of make me a little bit shy on Tiger, but he's in the top five. You know, in strokes gained off the tee, strokes gained approach to the green, and strokes gained around the green this year on tour, he's having an extremely underrated season. I think I know he's a storyline week to week, but I feel like he's not getting enough credit for what he's doing with his golf game. Really, the only thing he's missing is a win. And uh, I mean, I, I see him playing well here. I, I think he could. I think he could. This is a golf course that's going to make people think a lot. And Tiger's been one of the best at that over the course of his career. You know, outthinking the competition. And um, if it's firm and he can hit that two iron a lot and doesn't have to pull driver out and he can get the ball in the fairway, I, I think I see Tiger. You know, being in the top fifteen, top ten going into the weekend. I mean. You know, that's what we all want to see. We all want to see Tiger with a chance at a major. I, I think that would be awesome. We've seen him with a chance this year, you know, with API and, and Valspar. And, you know, he had a chance last week at the Memorial. But yeah. um, for him to have a chance at a U.S. Open and us be a part of it, we would be okay with that, I think. I don't think we'd be yelling about it. No, I totally agree. I feel like he's he's probably grinded better than anyone all year. When you think about these rounds sure. that he's somehow found a way, even at the Memorial, to shoot even par in the first round. I've always said this year that – the U.S. Open could be his best chance to get a major in in the next year, obviously after the Masters, just because of his ability and the desire and the challenge he loves to, to grind. Yeah, and, and I see, and I, I think more than the Masters. I mean, I think I think the Opens are his best chances every year now. I mean, I think uh, I think that his mental approach to U.S. Opens um, give him a little bit of an added bonus, and I think that the fact that you know he can win on an open course without, again, as I mentioned, not having to hit a whole bunch of drivers help him in that regard so uh I, I, it's weird i actually think of the masters is his, his least likely chance to win in my opinion these days really uh when you look at his major championship venues well i just you know he hadn't really played great at the masters um in a while so i mean i, I just I, it's a golf course that requires you to hit the ball straight now and i mean and, and with drivers a lot you know he's got to hit a whole bunch of those and, uh, and that's always kind of been his achilles so i, I look at shinnecock I, I think harnusti he could play well at um, and then you kind of look at the next couple of years in both those lineups, and I think uh, I think Tiger, if he's healthy, is going to have a chance at these, and I think of the U.S. Open venue, Shinnecock is about as good a chance that he's going to have. So let's say Tiger's in the final group, and you're jacked up as anyone to do the, the broadcast on Sunday, which would be <laughs> unbelievable. Who do we want? Who do we want in his group, and who do we want in front of him? Well, you know, it's funny. I was talking I was talking to a couple of the guys on the team about this the other day, and, I mean, you know, we, we, we don't want to sound, say we're rooting for anybody. I mean, you know, right. you, you root for storylines, and you talk about whoever's doing it, and that's what it is. Um, somebody said Tiger Phil, and they were like, it's obviously this answer. And I said, I don't think so. I think you want Phil in the penultimate group. I think you want Tiger in the final group with Spieth. So I think you go Tiger Spieth in the final group. 
I think you take Phil and Rory in the penultimate group. And then I think if you were like laying out scenarios that would make everybody excited, um, I think you throw something like a Dustin and maybe a JT, you know, a couple of those guys that can just chase, you know, even a Ricky right there. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in that third to last group where the guys could go out there and, and, and shoot a 66 or a 67 if they played unbelievable and had to give them a chance to win. But I want to see Tiger and a young guy. And to me, Jordan is the closest to Tiger when it comes to kind of the approach to these major championships. Also, the Jordan Speed thing. I know he hadn't played great this year. I know he's been putting just, just, just awful. But uh, Jordan Speed plays well in majors where there are no trees. And this is another mm. major with no trees. So, I, I, I'm just saying, no trees. Good for Jordan Spieth, if you look at it over the years. Okay, no trees. Look out for, for Spieth. So, okay, let me get your uh, picks then, and guys that maybe is worth looking out for. Because this is an interesting major to go into, right? The Masters was crazy because every favorite or or top guy that's played well there before was peaking, and it was an unbelievable thing to try and predict. Obviously, there's still a lot of right. really good guys that are playing well. Tiger, Phil's playing well. Um, Day was up there again, has won twice. Rose, obviously, almost just won. Justin Rose has got to be almost at the top of the list considering his history and his ability, kind of like Tiger, to just grind it out and be really mentally tough. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you were doing a pool and you left Justin Rose off, you'd probably be kicking yourself. Um, I uh, I like Ricky a lot. Um, I, I was talking to the head pro at Shinnecock, who I'm going to have on the Clubhouse podcast um, a little bit later this week, and um, – he mentioned that Ricky's been one of the one of the most frequented guests out there the last couple of years at Shinnecock, and he's been the one that's that's asked the right questions and uh, picked the brains of the people around. Um, he's the guy. Ricky's the guy I picked last night on the sectional show on FS1. Um, it's kind of the guy that I think has has a really good chance to break out of the major slump and uh, and, and snag his first one. Um, you know, I think you can look at some international players in the sense of Europeans, uh, and I think uh, I think you could look that way, like a Fleetwood again getting himself back in the hunt. You know, Brad Saxon made an interesting pick last night. He said Matt Kuchar. And I was thinking about it. Hmm. I actually, you know how our brains work, but I was thinking about it this morning, his Matt Kuchar pick. And because I remember he said it last night, I was very surprised. You were live on TV and, you know, you say stuff and I, and it kind of goes one ear out the other. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, Matt Kuchar, Matt Kuchar. It's like, you know, that's an interesting pick. You know, if you look at this golf course, if you look at Shinnecock historically, it's not been a lot of bombers that have done well here. You know, Phil, kind of the exception to the rule, bomber, nearly won, you know, makes double on 17 and 04. But Goosen wasn't a massive hitter of the golf ball. Obviously, pavement, shortest hitter in the field the week he won in 95. Raymond Floyd, the list goes on and on. But, you know, the Kuchar pick I thought was a really interesting pick. I, I think it makes a little bit of sense. You know, a guy that that doesn't seem to get too down on himself, has a good attitude, um, has a really good short game, you know, can get the ball up and down from a lot of spots, doesn't miss a ton of fairways. You don't, I don't think you have to bomb the golf ball here, like I said. So I thought that was a really, really smart pick by Saxon. I hate to give him that compliment. Don't tell him I said that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you've got Justin Rose, as you mentioned, who is a guy that, that seems to be made to win a couple of U.S. Opens. Um, I like Ricky just because I think when Ricky's driving the ball straight, um, you know, it, it really, he's really going to be in the top five at almost every major. I think I looked it up and he's finished in the top 10, something like 54% of the time dating back to, to 2014. And, um, so he's been in the hunt a lot, you know, who I don't like 
So here's the stuff I don't like. Now, I told you stuff I like. I don't like the guys that get really mad because I think you're going to get frustrated this week. Mm. I think it's going to be very easy to get frustrated on this golf course. So if you're a guy that really lets those things get to you, I think that it could be a long week. I think this is a golf course that is going to be, you know, they talk about the ultimate test. And I think this is going to be something where mentally you've got to really, really be in it the whole time. And I think if you have a mental last for four holes, um, it, you know, it could doom your U.S. Open chances. I think it could be just three or four hole run and that's it. So, you know, the, the young guys that you see that, that, that kind of roll their eyes and get frustrated early, I think could have a hard, hard week if they do that. If they don't do it, it'll be a different story. But if they kind of stick to what they normally do, I could see them, uh, I could see them having a hard time. Okay, so those listening at home, Bryson DeChambeau, Bubba Watson, and, and John Rahm, you might want to throw those guys it. out. You can say it. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. There's been a lot of talk around what Fox has done versus other networks, and you guys have done great. Uh, especially there's been, a, you know, everybody loves the, the tracer technology and all that good stuff. Is there anything this year you can tell us that you guys are really excited about that you've done differently from previous years? Talk about the broadcast itself. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think just first of all, I mean, I think the booth change um, is going to be a different experience for the fans, hopefully in a good way. I mean, we're going commercial free at every event except the U.S. Open, and I got a lot of positive feedback about that this past week. Uh, from Shoal Creek because, you know, people, I mean, golf fans that I know that, that are negative about broadcasts, you know, were telling me that they really felt like they were, it, it never lapsed. They were really in the event the whole time. So when you look at the senior open and the amateurs um, that we have coming up, you know, no commercials the entire time. I mean, you don't get a break and you get to see a lot of live golf shots. You're going to hear, you know, a couple of booths talking about it. We've got a new putter putt tracker that I really like because, you know, how a lot of putt trackers tell you what the line is. Um, I've never really understood those because obviously somebody gets the ball firm or, or soft. Ours gives you a little bit more of that. It took a lot of time, um, you know, for, for our team to kind of perfect it. But we use it at the Women's Open a couple of times, and I like it because, you know, it shows if you had a firm putt, it might be this line. If you hit it a little bit softer, it's this line. And I think that makes a little bit more sense to a putter because putting is feel. It's like when you go to a resort and you have a caddy and they give you the exact line, I always think to myself, how do you know how hard I'm going to hit it? You know, right. I mean, you don't. So, you know, putting to me is so feely that I, that I love that. Um, and I, I mean, you know, the, the top, top, the, the Lexus tracer is, uh, is something that we'll continue to roll out. And it's something that, uh, you know, we use a lot. I mean, we use it on a lot of holes. We use it as much as we can. Um, because you know, as a golf viewer, a lot of the time of the year, when I don't see it, I get really confused. What happened with that shot? Where did right. it go? So, um, you know, that's something that we'll continue to lean on. And I mean, it's going to be a lot of golf. I mean, we're on a lot. You're, you're going to see, you're going to see Monday morning at the airport, a tired Paul Azinger, a uh, tired Brad Faxon, and myself uh, will be walking gingerly to our gate. We'll be excited about it uh, because we're going to be bringing a ton of the golf to you. I mean, it's, that's, you know, that is what our producer, Mark Loomis, is so good at is he believes that it's golf first all the time. And, you know, he, he, it's what he does. And he's amazing at this. He's been doing it for a long time. And, um, He's a, he's a golf nut, and he wants to show you golf shots, and he wants people to see golf as live as much as possible, and that's kind of our commitment to it. And, you know, we, we do that commercial-free run at the end of the U.S. Opens on Sunday, and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's pressure-packed, and it should be. I mean, it's, it's, it's the biggest championship in our country, and um, it's exciting for us to bring it to people. So I'm just excited to get there, man. I mean, I, I, I'm pumped. We're renting the house. Uh, apparently, Brett Quigley is going to cook for us every night. 
which uh, which apparently he's like an amazing chef. And um, it, it's funny, you know, you we'll, we'll go broadcast for like ten hours and go back to this house and we talk about the U.S. Open for four. <laughs> like right. the only time I'm not talking golf is I'm asleep, you know. <laughs> right. It's like it's 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 a nonstop week of a uh, of, of getting excited. And you know, I think that there's five or six courses around the U.S. Open um, that really feel you know, almost bigger than the U S open can feel certain years. And I think you look at a Marion, a Wingfoot, Pebble beach, Pinehurst, um, and, uh, in Oakmont, and then you get Shinnecock in there. And, uh, and you know, it's, this is, this is, this is golf, you know, this is a golf course and it is a place where that has 18 unbelievable holes. The par threes are the, maybe the best collection of par threes in the country. And, you know, it's, it's one of those places that everybody on the planet wants to see. And, uh, and we get to watch her for four days with the best in the world there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an honor for all of us to be a part of it. And we're pumped up to do it. Love it. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I can't believe it's already next week. We'll be releasing this on Sunday. So, um, by the time people listen to this, it'll be the start of the week on their commutes, which will be exciting. But, um, everybody go follow Shane on Twitter at Shane Bacon. Definitely check out the clubhouse pod. It's a great podcast. He's always got a lot of great guests on it. And obviously, check him out on Fox Sports next week uh, at the U.S. Open at Shinnecock. Next, next week, baby. All it's right. Coming. It, 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 it's here, basically. It is here. We are uh, we are rolling. So uh, I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad we got to do it finally. And, um, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be on the TVs. If you see me out there at Shinnecock, people, uh, come say hi. I'll be bumming around in a golf cart, and uh, hopefully I'll have some, some stuff I can give you. All right. Best of luck in the booth. Enjoy it. <laughs>